Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Crystal Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. My guest today is Anna Liliamapur, who most of you guys know from her first film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and then her new one, uh, The Bad Batch, which I saw that you called it Road Warrior Meets Pretty in Pink. I kind of... <laughs> uh, it's a dystopian world, uh, Bad Batch, people banished from society, um, their struggle to survive, some some through cannibalism. Lily, thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from you that I love. I don't usually read quotes, but this one I love. I think one of my basic human needs is to show people that I love what I love and I'm obsessed with. And making a movie is a perfect way to do that. Yes, that's right. And there's this element, like almost um, like this Tarantino like taking these things you love and it synthesizes through you to become like your own unique thing, right? And, yeah. and so I'm wondering with, with The Bad Batch, what were you obsessed with? Like what was it that, you know, what, what was that music, those films, that world, I know art, skating, whatever, what was those things that you were obsessed with? with yeah, Bad I think a lot of them. It's first of all, just saying Tarantino as though you're like making a metaphor is like gives me a huge, massive boner. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's a very nice compliment. But, I mean, I think a have lot. You got, of have, all you gotten, have you gotten to meet him yet? I what's assume, that? Have you gotten to meet him yet? I I have not. No, oh, okay. I think sometimes with your 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 biggest like your big heroes, it's nice to keep them. At a distance. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but if he wants to like go and play mini golf, like I would totally do it. I think miniature golf would be the right thing to do together for the first meeting. So if he's listening or one of his assistants is listening, maybe we could play some miniature golf, me and Tarantino. Um, the question was about fetishes and things that you love becoming the components of the film. I, I do think like, like I think all filmmakers, a lot of filmmakers uh, um, do that to some degree. I mean, look at David Lynch's films, like there's so many strange nuances and details. In Wild at Heart, he was like actually going and he wasn't happy with a lamp that was in the room, so he like, he himself went out and made a lamp and mm. put it in the room, so I think it just depends on what your particular fetishes are. We do get to, I, I like world building very, very much. Those are the kind of movies that kind of seduced me as a kid, like never-ending story, like where you like disappear into the magic completely of this other place. But this was a, so this is a, that kind of a fairy tale feeling, but The Bad Batch is really America. It's a, a fairy tale about Amer America and how we're consuming each other in this country. Was that a starting point though? Because you strike me as someone that's not particularly, not that you're not political in your life, but in terms of your art, you're not. And that, that seems like a pretty, a fairly worldview. Because I know, yeah, like, I know, I, mean, that I know with um, A Girl Walks Home Alone, yeah. there was an instant interpretation that this was a, a feminist statement. And I, I, I presume you are a feminist, but that I didn't I didn't get this feeling that necessarily that was a starting point for no, you. No, it's never the starting point. It's always a character. I felt eaten up by by life, and at the time that I started the story, I felt I kept seeing this image of a girl missing an arm and a leg in the middle of a vast empty desert, bleeding profusely, but but alive, and just crawling 
with one arm and dragging herself on and that that's you know that's who that's our protagonist and that's who we're going to start with a very flawed protagonist who's been cut down by life and is, that's the beginning of the story mm -hmm. so like all those things that come and populate it I don't know I was also like I wanted to do a western like a psychedelic western that's one of my favorite things El Topo this film by Jodorowsky yeah. from the 70s was very much an inspiration the first hour it starts to really get like Second hour. Have you seen El Topo? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Like and I saw it. I saw it sober and not high. So, which is I think. What's great. that? It's a weird movie to see not high too, because it's. Yeah. The, I think it was because those all those all those movies in the seventies yeah. were were incredibly popular because everybody was getting high and going, and going to see that and uh, yeah. Holy Mountain. Yeah, Holy Mountain. I can't. I could never watch through. Like I can only watch that in like five to fifteen mm -hmm. minute increments where I'm like actually paying attention. Mm -hmm. El Topo though, it's like this epic quest, man quest movie. Like mm -hmm. I felt like it was all these, for the first hour I felt like it was kind of like Siddhartha. Mm -hmm. Then it kind of, then it becomes something else. But like I'm really with that movie for the first hour. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of something where using landscape, an epic story on landscape, but also something that's a little a little psychedelic, a little, a little. It's definitely psychedelic. I mean, I think like those moments in life where you are able to step outside of your systems, the many, many systems we live in. It's like what you physically look like, what you, what your wealth is, what your religion is, what your politics are, whatever it is. Like these systems are like nesting dolls around us, and like. So yeah, it was like finding the hole in the wall, which she does do, to go out and look beyond and like ask questions, put your whole reality to risk. And psychedelic experiences do that, like pull you up outside of yourself and you suddenly see it differently. And one of the things, generally with films, I have a personal aversion to movies that kind of hold moments, and, and you know, there's almost this. I'm fucked. No, but because there's always this like this sense of like there's supposed to be something more here, mm -hmm. or that the filmmaker's feeling something mm -hmm. in the, either behind the camera or in the editing room that is not translating to me, and and your films are a, a, a big exception to that because there's such a vibe, and such a moment that does sometimes kind of feel like a little dream, a little drug like, yeah. but there's. There is like there's something that's been charged, and you're gonna hold it and let us be in that and kind of enter that and yeah. and, and and I'm wondering though in accomplishing that because you know I've watched Girl I've only seen Bad Batch once but I've watched Girl so many times and it's sometimes it's music sometimes yeah. it's an energy between characters yeah. you know you can use attention between the characters really well but is that something where uh, that vibe that moment that feeling seems to be almost like the goal or the point and yeah. is that something like you're conceiving when writing this like you're thinking and you're like i want this feeling i want it like how am i going to get there i think there's some hints of it those are like things that come out in the kinetic moment of rehearsing and then physically seeing what's going to happen. So there's something sure. in the staging and the in the yeah. in, and in the presence of the two characters. Like if you're talking about in Girl him walking up behind her in that very long shot with that song, it was 
the ingredients of that scene were thought out, and then we did do rehearsals to get that movement in like not necessarily natural. So to get them feeling where it's almost like you feel like it's like magnets, mm -hmm. and like it. It's also a matter of what leads up to it and what goes away from it. I think like it all, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can't have that next to something similar to that. It has to all kind of lead up to that so that you earn it. It's cool when that happens. I think editing too is a big part of like looking for mixing. You know, like if it's like a chef's table thing with a movie, you're just kind of like looking to mix. You can't have truffles next to like, you know, uni and too much, then one of them doesn't. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, I do like getting into that. It's almost like sexual tension. Well, sometimes in your movies it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it is. Because like, isn't it great before you pop the balloon? Just like, just the idea of a balloon and a needle and just holding it and like you can see the tip of it close and you just feel and you just, just even the suggestion of it you can like feel that. You, it, it's not a direct one-to-one -one, but your professed love of David Lynch mm. to me and what he's doing is different mm -hmm. but nonetheless it's like he can create these moments of dread, of excitement, mm. and often that's in and of itself, like mm. the scene of its point. And sometimes it, he does it so simply. Mm -hmm. Is, I, I'm sure his influence. Good lord. Um, sometimes that. Um, David Lynch yeah, does these uh, things yeah. makes you feel dread, fear. Yeah, but I mean, I, there's some. It's like, is, is that? I'm. Sh is that something that, when you connect with him, that's something that you're really feeling with his movies and those. It, it doesn't, sometimes with him it doesn't even have to have a narrative context, it just needs to have an, a, a vibe or an emotional or this, this feeling and he does it so simply. David Lynch is so wonderfully inspiring to me because I see a man who is, is definitely led by feelings and emotions and, and, you know, and I like, I feel he's so emotional, his filmmaking is so emotional, you can't mm -hmm. understand it always. Sometimes it's actually the opposite of to understand emotion. If you try to use intellect too hard, it's like trying to understand the dark by turning on the light. Like you can't, you just have to be in the dark. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I, f I feel like there's something wonderfully inspiring about the fact mm -hmm. that he does that. Like, you know, just like looking at someone else and seeing them go up a mountain you're like yeah you know they did that i could do it you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it just not the same mountain but like a different mountain mm -hmm. but i like how brave he is going inside of his brain caves and you take some liberties with story yourself but nonetheless you you you, you put these in a in a far more structured container of, of story but like, I also have the sense that you also want this feeling of being liberated from a specific reality. Like some of the drug yeah. stuff and some being liberated from like a very specific reality, yeah. not wanting, yeah. once again, not to say that you aren't political or not, that you're not of this world, but that you want your world to be. And I, I, think, that, I think that's why a lot of film people have so connected to, to your work is it's not literal and it, it, it it, it wants to be like in its own existence. Is that is that something that's also? I think that f that sounds. Does it sound good? <laughs> extremely astute. No, I think it's an astute observation. Of, 
I definitely like I'm trying to figure out I'm very attracted to the idea of freedom not just in creativity and art which it seems that freedom imagination that's like what it all is mm -hmm. right and so like but I'm also interested in it as a human being and I actually don't have a line between storytelling and making films and my existence as a human being mm -hmm. if there's one thing I want I just want to feel freedom and I think I feel freedom when I feel comfort and I think comfort is something I'm constantly defining every second it's a lot of work <laughs> is, is entering I feel pretty comfortable <laughs> right now <laughs> <laughs> but I mean is that is that also something just coming back to this idea of sharing the things that you're obsessed with in, in yeah. terms of art and culture well, is, is that is that something where I apologize is that something where while you're writing while you're coming up a, a, a world it, 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 there's a freedom and a comfort in in entering my own universe but also other people's worlds and filmmakers worlds or or when it comes time to actually write to actually conceive you you're a little bit more isolated than that and cut yourself off from, from once I'm writing a film like once I start the writing process I'm inventing these characters and the world and the rules and all of it the details that go into mm -hmm. it I do feel like I'm it's a place for me that script that story those characters they exist they are doing things in my mind I think of them I can picture what they would be doing right then in that moment I imagine what music they're listening to what their favorite foods are what they did as a child and so it's like these things become this whole film becomes this real place that I get to exist inside of all the problems of that universe of that place are solvable by me so it's a joy it's like this period of time that's a very finite period of time where I literally can solve all the problems of the universe. And it's a very rare to feel that feeling on this crazy fucking planet. So I like relish it and I feel so good and then it ends and it goes away and you have to do it again. And it's like, but also the other thing, the in between is, is hell. But the other part is the sharing of it. Like yeah. that you, you, you're not a, uh, an animator. Like you yeah. can't just create this world. Right. You, like, oh, so then you get to, but that's why it's so incredibly intimate for me. I, I don't know. I, a lot of people make movies, movies in different ways mm -hmm. and cast them in different ways. And just, it's, it's a very, as many different people as there are, it can mm -hmm. be that different. For me though, like I really, I do think of it like, you know, a nine-year-old playing a game. And you know, if you make the game and you're nine years old, and you're like, this is a game, and the princess is in the castle, and there's a dragon right there in the woods, and you know, and you can see in the kids' faces who wants to play the game. Mm -hmm. And you can also see the kid that's like, my mom forced me to come over here, and I don't really wanna play your fucking game. <laughs> I don't wanna play with that, with those people, because mm. we're not gonna be, you know, you could feel it's like, mm -hmm. so I feel like whatever the stage, whatever the like, whether it's the department heads or the cast and at whatever level of fame or it's you should want to play the game then we're going to really have fun it must be easier to do that with this film than the previous film because people had seen girl and might want to know what kind of game they're playing right yeah Cause girl because I, I can imagine like before then and i guess you did have your shorts or something but yeah. they, but like that sense of like 
verbally trying to explain girl or what that world is going to be like or how you work might not have been as no yeah it's like all part of it's all one ongoing giant game Mm -hmm. is that like how i see it like really there's no end or beginning of each film is like this one constant dance of Mm -hmm. creativity but i do act out the movie i do it for like every single person so like because my films are like fantastical there's lots of music there's stuff where you read it on the paper and you're like what like this girl and a chador and there's a kid and she's like gonna take a skateboard like you know like you're like what is this mm-hmm. so I act it out like I'll have an actor come over my DP my costume designer I do different versions of the film depending on the person too but I act it out I do every part I play music I I act out the movie Let's talk about the lead because the the in in girl you were kind of playing with this um, James Dean. He's uh, very much yeah rebel. And, and uh, image it was for for Suki's character. Was there a character? Was there some? Are you playing with some kind of iconic? Uh, it was like Arlen was like to me like this quintess- quintessential kind of like white trash American girl like unsophisticated I, I I was calling her when I was talking about who I was I was like looking for like a white trash Bridget Bardot or like Bridget Bardot meets Juliette Lewis you know mm-hmm. Juliette Lewis in the early 90s like yeah. kind of um, and yeah like and how did you get that with girl her? out of the trailer huh how did you settle with her because I don't necessarily I mean she's perfect in the movie but like yeah I don't necessarily know that like I think she was mostly a model but I think right she had she was mostly a model before yeah she hadn't done any, she had, uh, anything much. She's new. But, like, I, what about her made you think? Because I, I don't necessarily think that you would necessarily look at her her headshots and her, her no, modeling they, work. No, they, my casting director is Justine and Kim. They, like, sent me... Because that was the one discovery, right? Like, I wrote Miami Man. I invented Miami Man because of Momoa. Like, it wasn't even... I wrote it, and then it was like, Jason Momoa is... I'm writing this character for him, you know? So it's like, that's a different kind of way of, of doing something. With Arlen, she was like this this archetype, this this character with missing an arm and a leg and this middle of nowhere, dumb but tough as nails and like, you know? Mm-hmm. So then I saw all these girls on tape. And so you just like watch them read the scenes on tape and, and when I got to hers, I didn't actually know anything who she was. So it was just like this girl. And I was just like, that's her. It's like, you can't even explain it. It wasn't like a intellectual, it was just like, whoa. And then, of course, I, I was like, okay, call back. Like, I do callbacks at my house because I, I don't like the sterile office vibe. Mm-hmm. So she walks in my house, and, and I was, like, sitting on my couch, and she just, like, did the scene. And I, li- I literally didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, just don't say anything to this girl because you don't want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. It's perfect right now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just don't fucking say anything. <laughs> Let's just, like, this is the girl. Mm-hmm. So I took her for a drink and was like, are you ready to suffer more than you ever have in your, in your life? 
And you said you started, I mean, Jason, uh, everybody kind of, he's such a physical presence um, from um, Carl Drago in the first season of... Uh, which which? Jason was the star. I was telling people that mm -hmm. he's um, Carl Drago in... Um, Carl Drago, yeah. yeah, yeah. In, um, Game of Thrones. He's such a physical presence. That's where I, that's where I met him. I met Jason on, through on, on HBO? Drogo. On HBO. Drogo was, yes. <laughs> I met him on, on, I was like, oh, Carl Drogo. Yeah, but I mean, he's, I mean... He's great in the movie, but there's also, I mean, part of this and part of what you're using is this physical presence yes. of him. Yeah. And it's very, yeah, no, go. But there are other, you know, built, massive male actors, mm -hmm. you could say. But I don't think you can quantify Jason Momoa in that way. I think he's much, much more than his physical presence. I think he's the soul of a child, the heart, you know, the heart of an artist. I, he's a father in, in real life, a very, very devoted father, an adventure seeker, very playful mm -hmm. and very protective and loyal. He's Miami man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's all those, mm -hmm. and, he's a f and he's a fucking gladiator and he can rip you shred from shred <laughs> if he needs That's to. That's totally believable. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally yeah. believable. You know, it, because of the fact that you are creating your own, it, there's this thing where it's like, because you're creating your own world, but then there is this idea with the Bad Batch of, these are people that have been banished from society. You know, and, and, and with Miami Man, there's a backstory of, well, one of the reasons he's there is because he's illegal. Right. Uh, uh, not a citizen. And so with that, I, I, what, how does casting play a role in that? And I'm thinking specifically because I, I know once again you have your own world, but I think that like with Girl, there's someone, there's a need to like make a direct connection to our world today. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know this was all done before Trump, but still nonetheless of people being banished from society. So how does race play a role in terms of that casting? You know, in that sense, because that, that Keanu Reeves world kind of does feel a little bit, you know, like kind of like, a, a white section of the Bad Batch, and there is this, this, this sense of, is that something that plays a role in deciding this, um, you know, the different characters, their race? I'm not sure I, I know what the question is exactly. Does race play a role? With Bad Batch, did race play a role in terms of the casting? I mean, I wouldn't look at it in, in that way I, I don't think I would necessarily verbalize it in that way more like to say that Bad Batch to me is a pretty accurate portrait of America mm -hmm. and that's very very mixed so I have all races mm -hmm. in the movie there's all races in all sides of the movie there's Latin white black Asian Hispanic in the bridge village and mm -hmm the same in comfort. So I don't know, Keanu's dream girls are mixed races, mm -hmm. dream girls. All of his girlfriends are from all over, mm -hmm. all the, f like Baskin Robbins, all the flavors of the. So in that sense, a conscious of choice of, of it being a mix. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the question is really. It's mixed, yeah, it's. Uh -huh. I just wonder because the reason I, the reason I asked the question is because of the fact that, like I said, your movies are so removed, they are so their own world, but there's a tendency of an audience to connect mm -hmm. it to, you know, when you think about people being banished from society for one reason or another, mm -hmm. I, I don't, living in the world that we live in, I do think about 
race, race, drugs, immigration. It's, yeah. And so it's like I think it's natural for an, an audience to make those connections. And so as, yeah. as someone that is creating their own world, yeah, I, I think it's a. W that's what I was asking about in terms of the, yeah. the casting element. Of I it. mean, it's an interesting question. I don't know. I ca I I was casting very consciously to have it m more like mixed as I see America is mixed mm -hmm. culturally um, and racially. And I mean, a lot of the casting for the background and, and, and who you see populating the world was done locally in Slab City, which mm -hmm. is an off-the-grid part of the Salton Sea. Is that a, so that's a real place, Slab City? Is that that's where Comfort was shot, okay. and that's where all those party where scenes... Where is that, Lily? In, in Slab City, in, near the Salton Sea. Okay. Right. An island, it's like out in the middle of the mm -hmm. desert. Um, and so there's 30,000 people living off the grid. And there's a lot of different races of people living off the grid. Mm -hmm. um, they were not ejected from society forcibly. But at the same time, how do people end up saying, I don't fit, I can't be in the system, and going off and living off the grid in mm -hmm. the middle of the desert? There is a connection there. Mm -hmm. So I think I was adding to that like I spent a lot of time in Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles and like Tent City and that was a big part of just thinking like as downtown Los Angeles develops and gets built you know the Ace Hotel got got built down there and like suddenly changed downtown LA where are all these homeless people are gonna go you mm -hmm. know so they'll just like put them on a bus and send them out to the desert um, it's interesting. I, we have to wrap up there, but, oh, uh, but, well. but yeah, but it's it's, it's interesting. It's an, inten to me, <laughs> it's an intense it, point it's to a, wrap up. No, uh, it's just it's interesting to me that to hear you talk about because it, it, it wasn't necessarily about it, that you are not only engaging in these movies, but also listening to you talk about Los Angeles and talk about these things. That these you are drawing so much from you know, reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, look around. I mean, you don't have to walk very far. Lily and I are on the 17th to floor find of a people hotel that are Brooklyn. living <laughs> on the street or kind of like don't have right. certain opportunities for whatever, for one reason or another. Um, this movie is 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 a lot of fun, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to see it. And I'm happy Megan Ellison helped you make this, and I hope I hope she makes you help. Thanks. Helps yeah. you make another one real quick. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. it. Bad Batch is in theaters on Friday and out by Neon, and it uh, should be pretty much everywhere pretty soon by yeah, in a few it's weeks. Yeah, it's going to be in a lot of places. All right. Thank you, Lily. Thanks, man.